Amen. Open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. Look at verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them come before to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that, behold, uh, that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we're so thankful for your word. And here in this text, we're very thankful for a special word from Jesus Christ himself. And so, Lord, I pray that you'll help us this morning to understand that you have opened a door before us, and it's our job to go through it. And so, Father, I pray that we will engage the open door this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I was watching football yesterday. Anybody else watch football? Anybody else? It's in football season. I love it, man. It's just awesome. Watching guys hit each other, snot bubbles fly. It's just awesome. But, you know, I, I watch guys sometimes, and I was a running back. I know you're surprised that I wasn't a lineman, but, you know. Um, I was a running back, and I, I remember the, the coach getting mad at me if I didn't hit the hole hard enough. I remember sometimes I'd be the fullback, and we'd have another running back, and I remember several times early on where the, the linemen would they'd make their blocks, and my job was to get to the hole and hit the linebacker to stop him so the running back, the halfback, could come through. All right, how many of you know what I'm talking about with that? There were several times that I remember I'm running to hit the fullback and I have the, the running back's hand on my back pushing me through. What was he telling me? Go through the stinking hole. Right, And so you'll watch guys, and you, I, I saw it in the game yesterday I was watching. You'll see the, the linemen have done a good job, they make a hole, and all of a sudden you've got a running back that's dancing. Hit the hole and run through the hole. There's an opening, go through the opening. How many of you have ever said that? You're watching the ball game. Some of you, I've never said that. No, no, I've never, I've never in my life said that. I have, but I'm watching it, and I'm, it, it, it's unbelievable. There's an opening. The other thing that I think is so funny is they'll call a play, and it's obvious the play's not working, okay? And usually that's the Browns. But um, there's going to be a mutiny in here. So they call a play, and the play's not working. Quarterback hands the ball off to the running back, and the running back runs straight into his own line. There's no hole there. 
and you look two feet over and there's a hole. What are you thinking? Run through the hole! You can't run through your linemen! How many of you are feeling great spiritual growth this morning? Do you know what the spiritual message today is? Go through the open door. Go through the open door. That's the message that Jesus Christ gave the church at Philadelphia. Now, remember what's going on in the book of Revelation. What you, the way your Bible is set up in the New Testament is you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and those books give you the history of Jesus Christ's life and ministry here on this earth. Then you have the book of Acts, which gives you about the next 30 years of church history. And then you go to Revelation chapters 1 and 2, and that gives you the next 2,000 years of church history. Revelation chapters 1 and 2. Your book of Revelation is divided into three parts that are given to you in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 19. It says, Write the things which uh, thou hast seen, the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. The things which thou hast seen, that's Revelation chapter 1. The things which are, that's Revelation chapters 2 and 3. And the things which shall be hereafter, that's Revelation uh, chapter four, chapters 4 through 22. So that's the outline of the book of Revelation. How many of you have ever heard that the book of Revelation is hard to understand? How many of you have ever heard someone say that? The reason that it's hard to understand, number one, is because we don't believe the words. That's, that's a big part of it. We don't believe the words. Like um, the, the, it says here in chapter... 3 verse 7 it says unto the angel of the church in philadelphia if you look at the footnote in your bible that'll probably say pastor to the pastor to the minister to the messenger well i know a lot of pastors but i know very few pastors that are angels you know what i'm saying you know what the problem is people don't believe the text as it's written just so the, the book of revelation becomes a lot easier when you just take it as it's written. The Bible says there's going to be 200 million horsemen from the east. Do you know what that means? There's these black helicopters that come through and they drop off so many people and the military, and they have the one military from here and the one... No, it's 200 million horsemen from the east. That's what that means. The reason that the book of Revelation is hard for people to understand is they don't believe the words. It's very simple. The other reason the book of Revelation becomes difficult to understand is there are more than 800 allusions to the Old Testament. And because people are not familiar with the Old Testament, with the terminology of the Old Testament, it's hard to understand the New Testament. One of the great mistakes that we've made, and uh, I owe this to uh, Ken Ham from his book, um, Already Gone. He said the biggest problem with dealing with our young people is we present the Bible to them as stories. Right? Just like Santa Claus or the Easter Bunny, you know, Rapunzel, Rapunzel, let down your mustache, whatever. There's all of these stories that we're given. That gives you a picture, doesn't it? Doesn't that just... Um, when if... I've said this often, that the, the problem that we have as believers is that we read the Bible devotionally. Have your devotions. We read the Bible devotionally rather than reading it doctrinally. You don't know how to handle it devotionally until you understand what it means. Is that right? And so the reason that people can't understand the book of Revelation is because all of the definitions for the terminology in the book of Revelation, almost all of them are given to you in the Old Testament. And we'll see some of that this morning in this text. Now, in these letters to seven churches, you have the church at Ephesus, the church at Smyrna, Pergamos, um, 
Sardis, Thyatira, or Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Those are the seven churches of Asia Minor. Uh, to the churches, he gives them a commendation that is, he, he commends them for something good, or he condemns them for something bad that they have. That's the formula. And Jesus always begins by introducing himself by different titles, different names. And those of you who have heard us teach on this before, um, you know that the, the titles of Christ will identify the problems that they will have in that church. All right, so for example, look at Revelation chapter 2 and verse 1. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. All right, now how can we understand that? Well, again, how many of you have heard that the book of Revelation is hard to understand? Let's see if we can understand this. Um, look at chapter 1 and verse 20. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. It's not complicated, is it? It's not complicated. So now look at the title of Christ in chapter 2 and verse 1. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Here's the teaching of that. Jesus says to the church at Ephesus, the church at Ephesus, uh, that is the fully purposed church. They fulfilled the purpose for which Christ had established the church. What Jesus is saying is, I have you in my hand. I have you in my hand. But it also says, and he walks among the seven golden candlesticks. Not only is he holding the church, but he's in the midst of the church. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. So Jesus Christ is here today. How many of you believe Jesus is here today? Amen. Maybe we would wake up if we recognize that. Right? So here's the thing. That title of Christ for the church at Ephesus was very important because the church at Ephesus was going to suffer terrible persecution. So those people needed to know that Jesus Christ had them. If they do lose this life, there's an eternal life and an eternal reward. And not only that, Jesus was with them. What a blessing that is. Is there anything better than the presence of God? That you're not alone? You're not alone? That's wonderful. So for each of these churches, you have the title of Christ, or the titles that Jesus gives himself, will identify the problem that that church will face, but also will demonstrate that Jesus is the answer to the problem. Again, let me ask you a question. Did you know that Jesus is the answer to all your problems? He is. He's the answer. And so we have that. Not only that, but each of the church's names, that, that church will describe, the name of the church will describe the church, but it will also describe a period of church history, a period of time. Like for Ephesus, that is the early church. That's from the apostles until about 200 A.D. When you get to uh, Smyrna, Smyrna, the middle of that word is myrrh, and it's a suffering church, terrible persecution. There were 10, historians identify 10 specific Roman persecutions during that period from 200 to 325 that that Smyrna church covers. You get to the Pergamos church. Pergamos means much marriage. The, the root word there is the same word for polygamy, much marriage. And during that period of time, you have the marriage of church and state and pagan religion that happened under Constantine. And 
the Augustine and all of those things that happened there. And that period runs from about 325 to 500. You go to the, the uh, church at Thyatira. And in Thyatira, what you're going to have is this blossoming of the false religion. And that's the Dark Ages. It begins around 500 and goes to 1,000. The church at Sardis, which means red ones, just covered in blood, that goes from about 1,000 to 1,500. And the church at Philadelphia that we're going to look at this morning is from around 1,500 until 1881. 1881. Then Laodicea from 1881 until the rapture. We live in the Laodicean period. We live in the Laodicean period. Let's look at the way that Christ describes Laodicea and then we'll be able to better understand what we're supposed to be if we want to get the commendation of Christ from the Philadelphian church that we're going to study today. Look at Revelation chapter 3 and verse 14. If you look at verse 13, we'll see who this is for. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Okay, everybody look up here at me for a minute. Do this. Is, is there something there? This is for you. Okay? Sometimes you say, I don't know if this is for me. He, do, you have, do you have an ear? How many of you have an ear? All right, this is for you. This is for you. I know somebody's out there, what if someone wasn't born with ears? It's still for them. All right? Van Gogh. Have you seen Van Gogh with glasses? That's it. Um, you can't get humor like this in other churches. This is unique to hear. Pray for us. All right, now. Revelation chapter 3, look at verse 14. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, and if you'll notice this, the other churches, it's the angel of the church in Sardis, angel of the church in Philadelphia. This isn't Christ's church. This is the people's church. Boy, does that describe America? If you come to our church, we'll give you an oil change. Pony rides. People come to my office. What do you have for my children? We have church. There's no cotton candy. No clowns. Mainly because they scare me to death. How many of you are creeped out by clowns? Yeah. Yeah. Tammy Baker, you know. Um, that wasn't kind at all, was it? That wasn't. Did you all hear what they found when they took the makeup off of Tammy Faye Baker? Jimmy Hoffa. Um, now, focus. Pray for me. Focus. So the Laodiceans, it's, a, it, the, it's the church that is, it's all about the people. And Pastor Nathan, when he was leading our singing, let us magnify the Lord together. What is the church service about? This church service isn't for you. It's for Him. And that's the problem with the church in our time. We, we're, we're building a church to appeal to people that hate God. How do you do that? You can't. You can't do that. What we're supposed to do is build a church that appeals to God and take the gospel into the world. Then bring those people into the church. That's, that's the point. All right, so unto the angel of the church of Laodiceans, write, these things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. The Amen, that means it is true. So when I'm preaching and you, you folks say Amen, what you're doing is you're telling everyone else, if there was a guest or something, that, that what the preacher just said is true. But you agree with it. That's the purpose of the Amen. That's why it's there. That's why I sometimes ask for it. Do you all agree with this? 
Amen. That's the purpose of the amen. So when Jesus identifies himself as the amen, he's saying that truth exists. Jesus said in John 8, 32, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Is that right? And so what Jesus is identifying as the problem in this age is there will be an attack on truth. As Pilate said, what is truth? What is it? And I watched, um, I guess it was Friday, uh, I was doing some work actually for next week's message, and I watched a Larry King uh, episode on YouTube where John MacArthur was there with Deepak Chopra and a Catholic priest, Father Manning, I think his name was, and um, Dennis Prater, the, the radio commentator, he's a devout Jew, and uh, then John Meacham, who was the editor-in-chief of Newsweek magazine. And it was so interesting how they would have a different perspective on what truth is. John Meacham was talking about the, the, the story, the nativity story, the story of the birth of Christ. And he said, what's good for us, and they'd done an article in Newsweek about it, and he said, what's helpful is that an account doesn't have to be accurate to be true. And MacArthur, everybody makes their comments and they're all just, you know, everybody's having a kumbaya moment. And MacArthur says, that is one of the most frightening statements I've ever heard. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, obviously, be a newsman would think it doesn't have to be accurate to be true. That's interesting, isn't it? Isn't that interesting? What is lacking in our culture? A stand for the truth. So you'll, you'll, is that true? You'll ask a politician, is that true? And then when they give the answer, and everybody knows it's a lie, what the pundits will say is, he's very good at spinning. What is he, a top? No, no, it's called lying. What's lacking from our culture? The truth. The truth. And what's lacking, this is not talking about politics, though obviously that's the case in politics. This is talking about in churches. So in churches all over the world today, there is a lack of truth. Well, you'll have your truth and I'll have my truth. Well, if they're different, they can't both be true. That's the problem. And so Jesus Christ said that would be the, the struggle, but he said, I'm the answer to that. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There's only one way to get to heaven. There's only one way. And MacArthur would say that to all of these men, and they were all looking at him like he had three heads. Why? Because they had their own truth, but their own truth was error. Amen? So that's how Jesus Christ described this time period. So we have to understand that when we go out into the world, we are going out with truth. Do you all agree with that? That we have the truth, but the world may not accept your truth. Don't be surprised. Jesus told you that's the way it would be. Then look at the other descriptor that he gives. Now let me say this, Laodicean. Do you know what Laodicean means? Rights of the people. That's the church, rights of the people. Then, so these things saith the amen, the faithful and true witness. So here's the problem. What Jesus is saying, that in the churches, during the Laodicean period, there would be a lack of faithful and true witnesses. Now, And you can see that. Go to the Christian bookstore. And I'll do that. I'll go into the Christian bookstore and I'll grab a couple of books and I'll go to the people. Do you know what this person teaches? Usually I'll start with, are you a Christian? Yes. Do you know what a Christian is? Yes, it's a person who's placed their faith and trust in Christ alone for their eternal life. 
Repentance toward God, faith toward Jesus Christ. That's a Christian. Is that right? You all agree with that? All right. If you don't agree with that, you need to get saved. You're not born again. You're going to go to hell. All right. Not whether or not you agree with me, it's whether or not you're saved. You must be born again. The reason that Jesus Christ preached you must be born again is because you must be born again. It's, it's the most important decision you'll ever make. And so I'll get that established with the people in the Christian bookstore, and then I'll say, okay, so you're a Christian. Is this a Christian bookstore? I saw that on the name. Is this a Christian bookstore? Yes. Okay, this person's not a Christian. They teach a false gospel. And then I'll go through and tell what they teach. I mentioned this to you recently. I was coming back through Indianapolis. I stopped at Lifeway Christian Bookstore. I was getting ready to do our series on spiritual gifts. And I was looking for books on spiritual gifts, and they brought me out all this charismatic stuff. Joyce Myers, all this. I've always thought it's amazing that the most manly preacher on television is Joyce Myers. Isn't that true? The men, they preach like this. You just need to know Jesus, and God wants you to be happy. And if you're happy, then God's happy. Are you happy? Give me your money. And then Joyce Myers out there preaching, you need to be right with God. Never right, Bob, talking to her husband down here. It's, it's really interesting when you see this. But they, they brought this stuff to me. And so I went through each one of them, showing the doctrinal errors of each one of them. And they said, I didn't know that was in there. I didn't know that was in there. See, remember from our skits that Patrick's favorite preacher is Joyce Myers. So he's <laughs> leaving. Remember what he said? She's just so encouraging. Um, now, we don't have many guests. If you're a guest and you happen to like Joyce Myers, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, she's a false teacher. She's not supposed to be a preacher. She should go home and make cookies. Um, now, or whatever. I don't care. She just shouldn't be a preacher. <laughs> Men, look at your wife and see if she'll give you permission to say amen right there. She might be a nice person. She should not be a preacher. Amen. Amen. Let the woman learn silence in the church. I suffer not the woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. That's not equivocal. That's a clear statement. Anyway, what they brought all these books to me, and they were all false teachers, and that's what is called the church today. Jesus said, I'm the faithful and true witness. The problem in churches in our age will be a lack of truth. A lack of truth, unfaithful and untrue witnesses who don't even know whether or not this is true. That's what you run into. Then look at the last descriptor that Jesus gives of our age. So he's the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. The beginning of the creation of God, Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the word and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. He began the creation. He is the beginning of the creation of God. Do you all believe that? That's Jesus. That's who we worship. That's the Christ that we worship. And yet you'll have someone like Timothy Keller, one of the most popular preachers in America, pastors in New York City, and he doesn't believe that Adam and Eve were real people. Well, they might have been, but, you know, there was evolution and it all happened and maybe God created them and set them into the creation that had already evolved. Unfaithful and untrue witnesses. I think... 
again, I think it was MacArthur who said this, that something like 90 per, 95% of Christian colleges and seminaries, 95% do not believe the first 11 chapters of Genesis are historically accurate. How many of you think Jesus described our age right? Now, isn't that supernatural 2,000 years ago? Jesus said that that's the way this time would be. That's the way that Jesus said this time would be. What caused that? How did that happen? How did we get to where people don't care about creation? How did that happen? Now, let me say this. I praise God for all the people who are standing for the truth in our culture. Amen? Amen? More than, more than people from Grace Baptist Church, more than Baptists, there are saved people all over our country and in Western culture standing for the truth. That's a blessing. We have godly teachers in, in all of the public schools. I, I dare say that in just about every public school, there's at least one Christian godly teacher taking a stand for Christ. Amen. We need to pray for them. Amen? Amen. We need to pray for them. Pray that God will give them courage, give them opportunity, and give them an open door that we're going to see in a minute. Now, look at how Jesus Christ describes the people. So He describes what the age will be like. Then he look at how He describes the people in verse 15. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. So how does this age, how is this age described? Whatever. You believe the truth? Well, I have my truth. For me, that's true. Now, that remind you, ladies, have you ever seen this? Uh, you'll see a, somebody asking, do you like this dress? Well, it would look good on you. <laughs> it's good for you. In other words, not me, man. I wouldn't wear that if my life depended on it. The, your girls, if someone ever says that to you, it's good for you. That means they don't like it, okay? Right, just very clear. Um, guys, if your wife say, does this dress make me look fat, run. There's no, there's no winning that conversation. Um, it's very clear. It's very clear here that we have a culture that is just not that concerned with the truth. That is not that concerned with the truth. How did that happen? That's what Philadelphia is about. So now let's look at what happened in Philadelphia. Look at verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. Now what does Philadelphia mean? We all know. Brotherly love, brotherly love. Greater love hath no man than this, than that a man lay down his life for his friends. Then Jesus Christ called his friends and stretched out his arms and died on the cross for us. Jesus demonstrated what brotherly love is. The Bible says, Jesus Christ said, they will know you are my disciples by your disdain one for another. They will know you are my disciples by your love. All right? So, now, if we are going to be a loving church, and th this, is, this is an accusation that's made against Christians that they're not loving. Right? Now, don't let that be said of you. If you demonstrate that you're loving by your behavior, charity, love that gives, that you're investing in the lives of others, then that can't be said about you. Amen? I'm going to have to start over. 
If you invest in the lives of others and you demonstrate charity, love that gives, and you are personally interacting with other people, demonstrating Christ's love to them, then that could not be said of you that you are not loving. Is that right? Amen. That's where we have to. People can talk about the church. There's no there's no the church. It's me. It's you. All right. So now. The angel of the church in Philadelphia, write: These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth. So what you need to understand that's being demonstrated here by the titles of Christ is Jesus is identifying himself as God. All right? When you see that Jesus is saying, he that is holy. The Bible says there is none holy as the Lord. There's only one person that's holy, and that's God. That's 1 Samuel 2, 2. And then when the Bible says, uh, I like this. Remember when Jesus Christ was born and the angel is talking to Mary? I think it's Luke one thirty five, And the Bible says, that holy thing which shall be born of thee. That holy thing. Why was Jesus Christ called a thing? Because God's a spirit. You can't touch God. Jesus Christ became a man, a thing that could be handled. Jesus Christ became touchable, whippable, spittable, and pierceable. That holy thing. That was significant. But there at the birth of Christ, he's identified as holy. And so here in the book of Revelation, where Jesus Christ identifies himself as holy, what was necessary for the church at Philadelphia was holiness. Holiness. And we'll see why in a minute. All right, so he that is holy, and then he that is true, he that is true. The Bible talks about God as being the one true God. We've already talked about uh, John fourteen six, where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And that truth would be missing from the Laodicean age. Truth wasn't missing from the Philadelphia age. So people needed to have confidence in God's holiness, the holiness of God and in the truth of God. And then look what the Bible says. He that hath the key of David. The key of David. What is the key of David? Keep your place here and go to Isaiah chapter 22. Isaiah chapter 22, look at verse 20. Jesus Christ, He's holy, He's true, He has the key of David. All right? And in, or in verse 20, Isaiah chapter 22, verse 20. And it shall come to pass in that day... Now, how many of you notice something immediately that's going to be happening? You see that day, that day, what is that? It's the day that Jesus Christ comes back to establish His kingdom. All right? So now there's a, there's a dual meaning happening here. So let's go back to verse 20 again. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah. And I will clothe him with thy robe and strengthen him with thy girdle. And I will commit thy government into his hand. And he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. And the key of the house of David will I lay upon his shoulder. Do you see that? Do you remember Isaiah 9, 6? What the Bible says? His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. All right, do you see that? So here, the key of David is being placed on Eliakim's shoulder. 
Verse 22 again. And the key of the house of David will I lay upon his shoulder, so he shall open and none shall shut, and he shall shut and none shall open. Isn't that interesting? So what's happening? What is the key? Of, this is the ability to open the treasury of the kingdom. That's what this is. That's the key. You have the treasury. You have the authority, the power, and the riches of the kingdom. That's what's being spoken of here. So now we'll go back to Revelation chapter 3. Again, remember, we've, we, are, we have been defining these terms from the Old Testament so that we can understand them. So verse 7 again, chapter 3, verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he's God, he is true, it does exist, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth. All right, so now here's the idea. As a church, if we're going to go into the world, we've got to have several components. Number one, we have to have holiness. Holiness. And, and we understand that Christianity itself is rejecting holiness right now. Holiness. Then we have to have the truth. That's confidence in the truth. And to when you accept any one thing as true, that means that you're rejecting all other forms of ideas as false. Is that right? And you can only teach through comparison. So you have truth. You're identifying truth. You're identifying error. Then, in order for us to go into the world, we have to have an open door. Jesus Christ has that key. He that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. Now look at verse 8. What is the requirement for us to have the open door? Let's, let's step back. Let me ask you a question before we dive into this. You're thinking, this is the lar- longest introduction in the world. That's okay. The sermon's short. All right? Here, here's the thing. What are the prerequisites for us to have the blessing of God, for Him to open the door of ministry and effectiveness for us? What are the keys? What are the keys? Holiness and truth is where it begins. Holiness and truth. So let me ask you this question. Are you holy? Are you holy? Now, positionally, I stand before God completely clean and righteous and perfect because I've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Isn't that exciting? So when God looks at me, He doesn't see my sin. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Praise God. Do you know that that righteousness of Jesus Christ is not based on faithfulness to church? It's not based on whether or not you give. It's not based on how you treat your wife. None of that. It's based on the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That's awesome. That's awesome. My personal holiness, though, is based on my behavior, on my heart, on my attitudes, on my mind, on my thinking. That's my personal holiness. The Bible gives us a command, be ye holy as he is holy. Oh, what a command. What a command. That can only be done through the power of the Holy Spirit. Is that right? Amen. Amen. Let me try that again. That can only be done through the power of the Holy Spirit. Is that right? Amen. So the prerequisite to the open door is holiness and truth. Holiness and truth. So here's the question. Are you holy? Secondly, do you know the truth? Are you resting in the truth? Are you relying on the truth? Are you taking that sword of truth from Ephesians 6 and wielding it out in the world, taking the shield of faith, 
wherewith you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, with the helmet of salvation, with your loins girt about with the truth. All of those things that are necessary, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, all of those things that are necessary for going out into the world, do you have confidence and knowledge of the truth? I don't know. I don't care. Whatever. That's Laodicea. Oh, you mean I have to read? Can you tweet that to me? That's our culture. That's Laodicea. So the prerequisites are holiness, truth, and an open door. Holiness, truth, and an open door. But Jesus Christ says that He will provide all of that for us. Jesus Christ is holy. Jesus Christ is true. And Jesus Christ has the key and will open the door that no man can shut it and shut it that no man can open it. Jesus Christ provides all of that for us. What do we provide? What do we bring to the transaction? Look at verse 8. I know thy works. Now remember, remember this is so interesting. Once you're saved, God expects you to do something. Amen. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. What do you bring to the party? For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Here's my part. Recognize my weakness. Now, now, when I asked you this question, are you holy? How many of you were immediately smitten in your heart? Would you raise your hand? I was. Why? Because I'm not holy. I'm wrapped in this robe of flesh, O wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from the body of this death? I don't have any holiness. I don't have that. That's weakness. That's weakness. What did God say? My strength is made perfect through weakness. Weakness. That's why that same passage I was quoting from Ephesians 6, it says, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. I need to recognize that I'm weak. I need to recognize that this mission that's been given to me to go through that open door, to hit the hole, that, that mission that's been given to me, I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm weak. I'm weak. Then, look at what the Bible says. Again, verse 8. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word. What's the problem in Laodicea? There's not faithful and true witnesses. There's not an acknowledging of the truth. If you want to be effective in ministry, you have to keep God's word. I love the verse, thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I may not sin against thee. You keep His Word. You keep it in your heart. You keep it in your mind. And you keep it in your hands. I asked the head of a major seminary, do you believe, I called him, I asked him, do you believe that you can hold God's Word in your hands? He said, no. Really? Where is God's Word then? Well, it's somewhere in all of the extant manuscripts. Does anyone here have all of the extant manuscripts? Well, then you can't live. 
Man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. See, the problem is that somewhere in his scholarship, he had forgotten about God's supernatural preservation of his word. That's what I'm talking about, keeping his word. I won't go into the story of it, but this whole, this whole movement in the 1800s to change the Bible, it destroyed people's confidence in the Bible they hold in their hands. You see, forever, if you called something a Bible, it, in English, it was the King James Bible. That's what it was. And that's why in 1881, when the Revised Version was first translated in the New Testament, finished in, I think, 1885 for the Old Testament, when it was first released, nobody would buy it. When the American Version came out in 1901, by, by law, they had to wait 20 years to publish the American Version. When the 1901 Version came out, nobody bought it. Because you had the King James Bible and you had the American Standard Version and all the Christians in the world are saying, what do I need that for? I've already got a Bible. And so around the 1930s, they changed the way that the Bibles were printed and they started calling them versions. So you had the King James Version or the New American Standard Version or the American Standard Version. New American Standard came later. The Revised Version in the 1950s. The, the New American Standard Bible in the 1960s the NIV in the 1980s, and then they've all been redone since then. So you have all of these different Bibles. Which one's right? Ask the average person. Go into the Christian bookstore. Say, which one's right? Where can I find the Word of God? Where is it? Well, that's up to you. Where are we? Laodicea. Laodicea. That's what happened. Because here's the next thing that happens. Look at Revelation chapter 3. Look at what it says. Verse 8. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. How do people deny the name of Christ? By not keeping his word. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Is that right? Jesus Christ's name in the book of Revelation, and He has a name that no man knoweth. You know what that name is? It's the Word of God. When Jesus Christ returns, nobody's going to know the Word of God. That's what the Bible says. Nobody's going to know what the Word of God is when He returns. Think about that. If you don't keep His Word, you deny his name, Jesus Christ. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Look at Revelation 3, 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true. John 17, 17. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Amen. And yet God's word's denied all over the world. It's denied all over the world. It doesn't have to be accurate to be true. How many of you want your doctor to think that way? Doing surgery. Well, oh, doctor, what are you doing? I'm really not sure. And yet it's okay for our preachers. Pastor, what do you believe? I don't know. The older I get, the less I believe. Then go sell cars. Get out of the ministry. Amen. How many of you, you have a genuine desire 
to be effective in ministry for the Lord. Would you raise your hand? Because it's, it's real. It's real. Those young people, we talked about it last week, that kid sitting next to you may be going to hell. That's real. That's reality. That's the world that we live in. How, what are we going to do? Let's look at the doors that Jesus Christ opens. Go to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation 3. Again, verse 8, I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door. Let's look at the doors that Jesus opens. Go to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. This will help us to engage that open door. John chapter 10. Look at verse 9. Jesus said, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Do you know the door Jesus Christ opens first of all? He opens the door of salvation. How many of you are thankful he opened the door of salvation to you? Amen. Amen. If you haven't walked through it, I hope you will. There's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. there's There's a narrow road that leads to salvation. There's a broad road that leads to destruction. That's what the Bible says. There's only one door... That door is Jesus Christ. There are a lot of people trying to go to heaven. And here they are. You know what the problem is? There's no door here. If I'm going to enter this room, I have to go through the door. If you want to get to heaven, you've got to go through the door of Jesus Christ. And if you have a friend or loved one that is lost, that you're trying to give the gospel to, the only way they can be saved is if Jesus Christ opens that door. Prayer is such a vital part of your evangelism. Pray that God will open that door. Go to Acts chapter 14. Jesus opens the door of salvation. Acts chapter 14. Look at verse 27. Acts Acts 14, verse 27. And when they were come and had gathered the church together... They rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. So here Paul is coming back and giving a report of what's happened in the world. And he's saying that God has opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. He's the door of salvation and he opens the door of faith. Have you ever said this about somebody? Why can't you just believe? Why won't you just? It just can't be that simple. Do you know what you need to pray? that God will give that person the door of faith, open the door of faith for that person. Do you know what you need to tell them? I'm going to pray that God will open the door of faith for you. Faith. Evidence of things hoped for. Substance of things not seen. We need to have faith. Pray that God will open. Let me ask you this. How many of you, right now, there's something in your life that God is asking you to trust Him with? And you're going to need Him to open that door of faith because you don't have it. Isn't it interesting how God brings us to those places in our lives? So what Jesus Christ does, He is the door of salvation. And here in Acts 14, 27, as He opens the door of faith unto the Gentiles. Look at 1 Corinthians 16. 1 Corinthians 16. I love this one. I pray for this for my own ministry. So here, Paul again writing by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, verse 9, or verse uh, 7, 
For I will not see you now by the way, but I trust to tarry a while with you if the Lord permit. But I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost. For a great door and effectual is opened unto me, and there are many adversaries. A great door and effectual. Do you know what that is? That's a big door. I used to have this car that would handle real good. And so when Jacob was little, I'd, I'd say, hey, let's go into the bat cave. And so I, I would drive in. We'd be coming down 47. I'd whip into the driveway, and I'd come flying into the garage and slam on the brakes. You know, bat cave entrance. How many of you know what a bat cave entrance is, right? Yeah, it's all good. Then I got a bigger car. The Batmobile had to slow down a little bit, right? Why? My door wasn't great enough. My door wasn't great enough. We as believers need to understand that the longer we minister, the more perceptive we will be of the necessity for God to widen the door. To widen the door. You see, I want God for Grace Baptist Church to open, look at the way the Bible says it, look at the way it's worded, a great door and effectual. A great door and effectual. Why? Because there are many adversaries. There are many adversaries. What are those? Those are the defensive linemen. Those are the defensive linemen. Look, we've all seen it. When the, de- when the defense opens a big hole, what happens? You get a big gain. Unless you have the running back that runs right into the back of his lineman two feet away from the opening in the hole. And you say, hit the hole! Right? What we need to pray for is that God will open a door so wide to us that even in our weak faith, we don't miss it. We just run through the open door Recognizing our weakness, keeping His Word, and not denying His name, relying on His holiness, relying on His truth, relying on His key to open that great door for us. I love that. An effectual door. A, door, a great door and effectual is opened unto me and there are many adversaries. Look at Second Corinthians, Second Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, look at verse 12. 2 Corinthians 2.12 Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, a door was opened to me of the Lord. Do you know what we need to pray for? That God will open up a door to give us a chance to preach the gospel. Amen? Let me ask you a question. Are you a faithful and true witness? If He opens the door, will you go through and preach the gospel? Isn't that interesting? If you're not interested, welcome to Laodicea. All right. Now, what he says here is, Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, a door and a door was opened to me of the Lord. He said, I had no rest in my spirit because I found not Titus my brother, but taking my leave of them, I went from thence to Macedonia. Why? To preach the gospel as Christ opened the doors. Look at Colossians. Colossians chapter 4. Colossians 4, look at verse 1. Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, 
knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. Boy, that's a good verse, isn't it? Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. With all, praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds. Do you need to pray for that God will open up a door of utterance? How many of you have ever wished you had the right words to say? What is that? That's a door of utterance. Have you ever said, given someone some counsel? And after you got done, you were thinking, where did that come from? Yeah. There have been times when I've quoted verses, God brings the right passage to mind, the right opportunity. That's God opening that door of utterance. Lord, give me the words to say. Open the door of your word in my mind, through my mouth, so I can say exactly what that person needs at that moment. Door of utterance. The door of utterance. Look with me at Revelation chapter 4. This will probably be our favorite one. Revelation 4, verse 1. After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. One of these days, do you know what's going to happen? Jesus Christ is going to open the door of heaven. And the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me. The Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. One of these days, Jesus Christ is going to return. He's going to open the door of heaven. And all of us who are saved, born again, we're going to be gathered up to beat Him in the clouds. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. You see, Jesus Christ has said, I want to open a door for you. I want to open a door for you. Grace Baptist Church, I want to open a door. I want to open a door of utterance. I want to open a door of faith. I want to open a door of salvation. I want to open up a door of preaching. I want, to, I want it to be a great door and effectual. And I want you to run through it. I'm going to provide holiness. I'm going to provide truth. I'm going to provide the open door. You provide weakness. You keep my word and you don't deny my name. And you know what he's going to do? He will build his church. He will build his church. Do you know what we need to do? We need to engage the open door. We need to hit the hole. Run through it. Jesus Christ is the line. He's blocking for us. He's doing everything. He just says, go through it. Go through it. My question is, are you willing to carry the ball? Are you going to go? Are you going to go? You have His holiness. You have His truth. He's giving you the open door. Here's the question. Are you a Philadelphian full of brotherly love? Or are you a Laodicean concerned only with the rights of the people? So satisfied. So busy with everything that we have. Listen to how Jesus Christ describes the Laodiceans. He says, Because thou sayest I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, behold, behold, thou knowest not that thou art weak and poor and wretched and miserable and naked. That's how Jesus describes people apart from Him. Do you know what He wants to do? If you're not saved, He wants to save you. If you are saved, He wants to make you holy. He wants to arm you with truth. 
and He wants to send you out into His work. What did Jesus say? As the Father has sent me, even so send I you. He's opening the door. Are you going to go through it? Are you going to go through it? Young people, are you going to go through it with your life? Are you going to go through it today? We're not talking about tomorrow. We're talking about today. Are you going to go through that door? Adults, you have people you work with. You have people, neighbors. You have people that you shop with. You have people you do business with. Do they know? Do they know that you're saved and that they need to be? I was listening to a song this morning, and the guy said, Here I go again, talking about the rain when this man needs the words of life. Walk through that door. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word.